Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Andrew Henderson, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Wait, Andrew Henderson, it is not Tuesday. What are you doing? Are you lost? Did you miss a day? We couldn't find the suitable breeder to come and show you just what the <laughs> UK is capable of to uh, take away your beef market in the 20 years after we do a free trade deal. But today, so I waited an extra day to find the right, the right yeah. source. You know, one day I bring up the fact that Benjamin Tompkins in the late 1800s, like 1834, develops the Hereford cattle. And all of a sudden, you're now all Hereford all the time. <laughs> Anything that, that that ended up showing you the best beef in the world has to be good, Trent. Has yeah, to be good. We'll determine how you, you'd quantify the best beef in the world. You've got friends. Who'd you bring along? I I, I brought a lot, a, along Maggie and David Kelly, who farmed 250 pedigree Herefords in the uk i don't exactly know where i've never been to their farm so i'd like them to explain where they are and where they grow their animals welcome david and maggie how you doing how you doing we uh, fat we are fabulous where are you in the uk we're in uh, the lake district south lakeland cumbria uh, beautiful well yeah it's a beautiful part of the world uh, we go up to about a thousand feet and uh, we run about 800 head of cattle, uh, between eight and 900 head of cattle all the time. Uh, carve about 250, but we've had a big program of getting uh, getting numbers by using embryos from Jack Holden in America. In Montana. In Montana. And, oh, yeah. And on the pole side of it, we've been using Waruna Herifords in Australia. Um, I don't know why you would do that. I know why you'd work with Jack, but them Australian genetics just don't cut the mustard. <laughs> yeah, David, David, you have to learn. You have to hit back quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you have to boomerang quick. Uh, uh, first thing that I heard you say, which is intriguing, is that you still do. Uh, you keep your polled and your Herefords separate. I'll just share with you, Andrew, and all our listening audience. Here in the United States, we had two associations from the beginning until not that long ago, a polled Hereford Association and a horned Hereford Association. They have merged. Um, and you still do. Do you have separate registries or you just keep different herds within your herd? Um, it, they're all registered at the Hereford Cattle Society, but they're registered as horned or polled. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you are, that, you are still one society then? Yes. So yeah. I understand that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we, we did that before the Americans did it again. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing it for a long time. Good, good. No, that's good. That's, uh, that's, that's one nil to us. Carry on, Trent. I think it was... Um, Jack Ward is probably going to send me a note like he was really listening today, but uh, I think we did it 25 years ago, so it's, oh, okay. it's pretty recent that we merged the polled and the horned. What? How long have you been raising Hereford cattle? Only since uh, 2013. Uh, oh, so you're new to the game. We're very new to the game. We were all continental breeders before. 
Limousins. Limousins cattle. Uh, and it was only when we were in New Zealand in uh, 2013, we were on a holding station and we were kind of blown away with his Hereford cattle. He was carving 1,100 Hereford cows. Uh, and he sent us to Australia looking. And just by a, a fluke chance, we looked on the internet, found Waruna, rang the guy, and he happened to be in the UK. So he came and stopped with us. <laughs> we got very friendly with him ever since. Our daughter went to work for him. That's uh, fantastic. And we got in touch with Jack Holden. Jack Holden as well. By the internet. And we've been over to see Jack in Montana, and we've been getting embryos from Montana as well. for years. Yeah. And we have some beautiful L1 cattle. Yeah, we have some lovely L1 cattle. And we uh, do hold, just for just just for everyone's uh, Holden Herefords in the US. Fantastic program. They they're very reputable and and get a lot of uh notoriety for the quality of Hereford cattle that they produce. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we have, we have had a, a few embryos from um uh Churchill Cattle Company. Sure. Yeah, so we've used those, a few of those as well. You're, you're like Montana Herefords, it's obvious. We love the Montana <laughs> Herefords, they're great. Yeah. The, thing, the UK is, there is a market, okay, for home, but there's a, probably a bigger market for Paul Herefords now. Some people won't entertain a home bowl. Some will, some won't, but there's a lot of people just want Paul. There is nothing. I mean... We have a few Herefords. In fact, I don't own a Hereford. Our daughters show Herefords. I'll show you their. Uh, this is our Landry, and yeah. her Hereford steer, our Hereford steer, her Hereford heifer that she's showing this year. So yeah. we have a few Herefords, but I've been involved with Hereford cattle for quite some time, guys. Um, and I have no idea where I was going with that because I got lost with Landry. But uh, our involvement is with Continental cattle. I, interestingly, my cow base, my commercial cow base is limousine. Yeah. We, we, at one time we had 300 limousine cows and we would sell 60 to 70 limousine bulls a year. We are now doing a contract program with uh, Lone Creek Cattle Company and it's what's called the certified Piedmontese. And that's an Italian based breed, but we will, we will tell you that we've Americanized them. We get along extremely well with them. So we have a, a blend of both, but there is just nothing that is more impressive and better to look at than an old horned Hereford bull out in the middle of a pasture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We totally agree, but it's just what the market drives us to work. Right. So you know, and uh, we predominantly sell our Hereford bulls to dairy farmers, a lot of them. Yeah. Some to uh, beef Be farmers. Beef guys. But the dairy men don't really want to be dehorning calves, so they prefer the polled. Maggie, are you finding, um, have you heard about what's happening at the moment in the UK with the dairy sector itself? Where, for example, um, Sainsbury's are looking to demand certain Aberdeen Angus um, genetics are used on 30% of the herd. How do you think that that sort of action is going to um, give your business some um, difficulties through the future in terms of competition or lack of it? Well, personally, um, I've been on to the NFU, the National Farmers Union, about this because I think it's outrageous. So do I. A supermarket yeah. can demand that their dairy farmers buy semen for twice the market price Yep. Sell 
Carbs maximum for maybe two-thirds market price, half to two-thirds the market price, then pay transport for these calves to be transported off to rearers. And if they don't do it, then they lose their... Um, Milk contract. Contract. And yeah. I just think it's bullying. And yeah. I think it's the thin end of the wedge and they're going to want to do it with feed and everything else. And a lot of farmers have, you know, they, they produce milk or they produce um, Holstein calves that they then sell on to other farmers and make good money on them. And they're dictating how they run their business. And that is not right. And from our point of view, we sell all these Hereford bulls. Um, even if we sold Angus bulls, we wouldn't be able to sell them Angus bulls because it's no. got to be from these two bulls. And I think it's wrong altogether. All right, so Andrew, oh, I've only got one minute, so I'm just going to warn you that I'm going to take a break here pretty quick. But Andrew has been sharing this angst with me and our viewers for the past week, Maggie. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. On the surface, I don't disagree with the program. If you have XYZ supermarket that wants to generate, and I know their whole plan is to generate more consistency and have a supply chain, but if you are demanding, you just shared with me things that Andrew didn't previously know or, or share with us, and that is that if you're demanding you're a part of this contract and you're not paying a fair price for what it is that they're producing for you, you're ultimately just uh, bleeding that particular supply chain to death, a slow death. Yeah, you, you can't you do that. Ma- so you, you have mailing the farmer. You so you have to have the the opportunity to get out of that, yeah. if that's the case. I, I think that the concept is spot on. I, I think that that's where we're all going to be part of a supply chain. But if yeah. you're not paying a fair fair percentage of what the consumer's paying, the, really the the grocery outlet should be paying more. Because they got a better story to tell. They've got a more consistent supply. They don't need to be in the market. So they should reward the producer more of that percentage increase that the consumer is willing to pay for. And, and I believe that's the future of food production. But what I just heard you say, this simply won't work. I have to take a break. I mentioned that we are part of Lone Creek Cattle Company, the certified Piedmontese system. If you would like to get more of the consumer's food dollar, Call Marlon Will and ask him how you get that done. It's all about the myostatin gene and the tenderness. Lone Creek Cattle Company at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. It's a certified Piedmontese system. Roll route. This is this is a great discussion, Andrew. Kudos to you. More after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Lewis alongside my pontification partner on Tuesdays. Who got his calendar messed up? I actually think I know now what he was doing. He was ramping up to find somebody really, really good to bring on, <laughs> and he found and he found her, and she brought David along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now listen, all lives matter, Trent. Just remember that. Yeah. Well. All right, we'll just leave that set there because we could go with some really good stuff because you know those Hereford cattle aren't black, right? <laughs> now, come on. Um, yeah. all, I, all I would say to you is back onto this um, um, Sainsbury's insisting contract. On this, this contract. I think the other thing that the point that you miss is that I think that if um, a dairy uh, contract um, through a, a retail um, supermarket 
then extended into a extends into a beef contract with a retail supermarket using mm. the um, the livestock on the farm to achieve that. I have no problem with that, provided that um, the farmer is allowed to opt in or out of that project. So right. there's a number of animals that they want in a year, so they can opt in or out on that project. But if it becomes um, a reason for them being able to have the contract or not, whether they sign up to it or not, then that's blackmail. And well, that is what we find in our industry at the moment, that there's too much power with the, the retail end of the chain rather yep, than right uh, absolutely. the what I'm confused about, Andrew, uh, these are not the aligned contracts that that we have talked about before, right? Yes, they are. This okay. is exactly All right. That. So the whole premise of the aligned contracts that we took issue with when you and I were traveling together uh, to dairies in late March or late February, early March before everything went to hell, literally, Um is that the aligned producers were getting an unfair advantage over the unaligned producers. Well, so why why then are they not taking the same approach with the beef supply? Well, to- think about it. Think about it this way. So you've, you 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 know you're having to pay those farmers extra money to secure their milk to make claims about welfare standards and um and and the and the way that the, the animals are looked after and the way that the farmer farms and all sorts of measuring that goes on in those farms and the farmer gets an extra pence per in our case pence per liter for achieving those standards for that supermarket in this case it's Sainsbury's and then they think why wow, we we're now paying 6p 6p by the way a liter more than standard milk um for this milk how are we going to get some more value out of this so the right. next step is to say, right, okay, we're paying them really well for the milk. Let's uh, let's look at how we can get some money back here by making them do things that a will cause a problem in the beef market. So they by doing what they're doing is they're causing a problem in another market and not looking after the farmer that actually produces the animal. And don't forget, they only keep the animal, I believe, for up to I I think it's eighteen days. Is that right? It's not long. They have to leave the animal has to leave the farm very quickly. Those they're reared by third party, a third party company. They're not yeah. actually reared by the farmer. That's yeah, the farmer has to have a <clears throat> excuse me a, a certain weight by a certain amount of days. So yep. they have to, have to have to reach a criteria, and then the farmer pays them to go down to a, a rearer who has them for so long, and then they go to a finisher. Maggie, Ooh. the elephant in the room in the dairy industry, as Trent just pointed out, is aligned versus non-aligned dairy farms. Okay, yeah. that that's as far as the NFU is concerned. And I'm intrigued now, and I'm very, I suppose, heartened is the right word, that you've rumbled this from a beef point of view because it's now going to impact on your market. And that now I want Manette Batters to understand that if you divide farmers by telling a telling them what they can do and b uh, changing the price value of different breeds through a supermarket contract how divisive that could be long term to our industry that the market isn't doing it that we're doing it by power the tail's kind of wagging the dog i think that's what's happening at the moment and um to be fair i used to be a dairy farmer so i've kind of got a foot in each camp if you like Um, What aggravates a lot of people about it is that 
if it's your business and your business is selling milk to Sainsbury's, what the hell has it got to do with them, what you bull your cows with? They are taking money away from health programs um, that for yonis and BBD that have worked well over the years and supposedly uh, put in this calf thing. So to me, Ma- 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 Maggie, I want to hold your thought right there. What do you mean they're taking money away from health programs? I understand BVD and Yoni's, but how's what do you explain that to me? Well, they used to give them um, so many points. The, the the contracts work on points. They have to achieve so many points. Okay. To keep the contract and part of, they got the Oh oh whoa whoa! Something changed. I got a feedback on Maggie's end. Okay, I got it. So, Maggie, just re-say that again because I think it's quite important. They, they have a point system that they have to accrue every year, Trent, in order to maintain their Sainsbury's contract. And in that, they have to prove that they've, uh, they've vaccinated and they also have, a, a, they have a, 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 an IVR and various other treatment campaigns going on on a farm to right. help the animal. Sorry, carry on, Maggie. Yeah, so they are now not giving them... Um points now for doing yonis testing or bvd testing and the points are now going over onto this calf thing so So do you understand sorry trent you understand what that means now that if they don't do the calf thing they could lose their contract that's what that means i understand that but i don't understand why they would want the the farmer to spend less time or monitoring of health status of the animal (laughs) that makes no sense to me whatsoever Bingo. Uh, they still want them to do it, Trent, but they don't want to um, give to it. reward them with points for it. No. Yes. Yeah. They just want yes. it to be assumed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's exactly what they're thinking. I this is this is me wearing my cattleman's hat. Okay, they're not going to give me points, but <clears throat> nothing is more important to me as a cattleman than the health of my animal. So I still have to do that. I'm still going to be doing it, but I'm not going to ha- receive the incentive because I did it. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's it. Okay. Uh, so I interrupted you as you're about to to walk through that point system, Maggie. Sorry about that. But do you know where you were before I took you down the, the Yoni's path? Um, well, I don't know. That, I know they have a point system. I don't know the full details because I'm not a, not a Sainsbury's. <laughs> I just know the basics, and what and the basics are that they have to um, they have to produce so many liters of milk at a certain butter fat. The cow was mm-hmm. by a certain time, and all this is points related. And now uh, they're going to get points for the calf thing. And if they don't do the calf thing, they have to get a derogation. Yeah. Yeah, and they can have that for maybe one year, and then if they don't do the calf thing, then they're out, which will mean, yeah, a big drop in income. But you see, at some level, those of us in farming have created this situation because you know, my what I've been doing, self-proclaimed advocate for now 20 years, I've been talking about you need to know your farmer. And so here we have an unnamed grocery outlet in the U.K., that's taking that whole concept to heart and they're going to get people to know the farmer, but it's their select chosen farmer. It's not all farmers. That's what's happening. And they're using it as a marketing tool is that, and we have the same thing taking place here with the, the largest retail grocery chain in the United States, which I also won't name 
is they're putting in their own milk plants. They're getting more involved in dictating to the supply chain what you're going to do to be a part of our system. Mm. You either are part of that and take what they give you, or you find a way to be a part of something else, which is what we've chosen to do. Mm. Mm. I think, I think you hit, I I think at the moment we have two large processors in dairy and we have, we have, I I believe we have quite a, a small level of large abattoirs as well. There's not a huge, um, nationally there's, there's what, maybe three big abattoirs in the UK groups. Mm -hmm. And then, then the rest of them are small. So we're, we're getting to that really top heavy side on both industries. And uh, it won't be long before I expect one of the retailers to do exactly what you've described there, Trent, and take that decision. But hopefully the farmers on both in both beef and in the dairy industry and the sheep industry, of course, as well, and the pork industry, I hope we have contracts strong enough to be fair right the way through the process, because that, although if we don't, we're in danger of losing one of those uh, groups of farmers. And with that, we have to take a break just like that. We're already halfway through. And before I let you go, I want to remind you about Neogen, the opportunity to do genomic testing and DNA variability of what's going on under the hide. When we talk about the Piedmontese cattle, we know that they possess the myostatin gene. We know that that gene is responsible for tenderness. So we identify the genetics of the animal. You can do that at birth. You don't need to wait and see what their performance is, what their daughters are doing. You can look at a bull's DNA and his daughter's ability for stability, docility, anything that we gather, we can now look at genomically. Shining a light on your genetic future. More details about that at neogen.com. Second half of Roll Route right after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside Andrew Henderson coming to us from an old bird sanctuary in the UK, just down the pasture through the dusty trail. David and Maggie Kelly joining us also. Um, I, okay, this is just like my real area of interest. Not that it's that interesting to other people listening, but David, you were talking about our Maggie, whichever one you want to take this. What's it take to get embryos from the U.S.? to the uk is that a is that a tough gig to get done today or new or australia quite frankly no not at all um you just speak with your farmer over there like jack colden he, he sorts it all out at his end we get an importer at this end uh, basically they sort all the paperwork out they arrange a flight uh, and you get a date there's actually zero effort really Brilliant. apart from Apart from transferring the funds across when you agreed a price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, we do have some health protocols that we need to put into place that we verify the health. You spoke of BVD and Yoni's earlier. Yeah. Uh, before you export those embryos, we need to verify on our end that these animals do not possess any disease that might put your UK beef herd yeah, yeah. at risk. I think that's yeah. worthy of sharing. Yeah, all yeah. that's done before the animals come. And the, the DNA in America and Australia has to be compatible with the DNA testing here. Yeah. And they're just getting to grips with that. Well, we're, we're on a SNP test now, which makes everything a lot easier. Right. A SNP uh, test, David, what's that? Uh, he said that they used to use hair samples, but apparently they're finding the SNP, they're taking a SNP out of the ear is a lot more accurate than the hair. All right. Uh, just a, a tissue. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's also you get more. Um, what's the word? Um, there's so many. You, uh, you you get more material for them to get a more reliable test. More reliable test, yeah. And there's more, uh, more information uh, back on it. Yeah. And and quite frankly, just just to explain what I was talking about earlier, that's how we get DNA for the genomic test. You just put well, that, a like we, a. We're trying to do that. Once we've done that SNP test, we can then send it off to be genomically tested as well. So and what are you what are you testing for? Well, genomically. Well, we've just we haven't sent any yet. We've oh. We, no, we've only done uh, up to now. We've just sent everything to do the the potted uh, gene. Sure. So our next stage is they're not doing it yet in the UK, so we'll have to send it through to uh, Abbey in Australia, and uh, and we'll probably end up going into the Australian system at the moment uh, to test it for well everything really from eating quality to right through carving ease and everything. The Australians the Australians follow the same breed plan program as us, you see. So it's very simple to follow the Australian figures. What what I heard you say was that you were going to go to Australia for this DNA test until you heard about Neogen, and now you've changed your mind and you're going to use the U.S. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Yeah, it's all right. uh, you know, I think what's amazing about... The, and Andrew, he had some issues this week, and I had a fantastic conversation with Craig Watson on across the pond Monday morning, we've been able to compile data on docility and stability to look at how long these cows stay in the herds out of certain sires. And, and that just takes the whole genetic evaluation to a new level because previously it would take 10 years to determine whether that bulls domino 150, whether he, yeah. his daughters are going to stay in the herd for an extended period of time. And now we can do it when that calf is born and have a prediction on what it's going to be. That's incredible. Yeah. You know what you're using before you use it, don't you? And I think that's going to be revolutionary in the dairy industry as well, from what you're describing, because one of the biggest problems has always been, you know, the actual uh, average uh, lactations of a dairy cow uh, as well, because that, that has an impact on how many calves are born, as you know. So sure. at the end of the day, that this is groundbreaking stuff. And I'm, you know, it's great that listening to this comment, it means that the Australians are talking to the British who are talking to the American edge technology. And that leading edge technology needs needs to be the best in the world for where we need to take our industry. You heard before, uh, Trent, about, you know, Damien McLaughlin explaining from a marketing point of view, the one thing that beef has not done very well, probably over the last 20 or 30 years, is develop its marketing to the consumer. But this is all giving me a huge amount of positivity about how that might be possible in the future. Well, before you chime in there, David or Maggie, I, I just wanted to echo what Andrew said in that it doesn't really matter whether you're in Australia or I have friends in Argentina doing the same type of thing, UK, Ireland, US, Montana, Nebraska. The commonality in making genetic strides and improvements and cutting edge technology to produce more with less. It's happening globally. It doesn't matter where you're at. It's like a big race to see who's going to get there first. Yeah. Well, it is, but there are certain countries, ours being one of them, that has the, the climate at this moment in time to be able to absorb a lot more 
carbon than we emit through through our systems. And where David uh, and Maggie are farming in, in Cumbria, for example, it's one of England's green and pleasant lands. It, there's a lot of rainfall. There's a lot of grass. There's uh, It's how do we make sure that we look after that grass, grow as much beef as, or lamb or whatever as possible, and, uh, and make sure that we um, suck up all that carbon that these... Um, cities and city dwellers and vegans and vegetarians create but, but we need to be telling this to the consumer don't we we need to be, we need to be telling it to the consumer but uh, i think no david we're soon. just really good at gathering in like-minded meetings like we're having right here and talking <laughs> to each other we don't know how to talk to the consumer we've proven that well well we we're mean, trying we, no he's right you're right david he's just he's just trying to be plank of the week don't worry <laughs> Playing job of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, I do. I did make a difference. I did want to point out uh, Jody Jess has done a great job taking that SNP definition a little farther than we did. SNP identifying the DNA markers, and you get a lot more information uh, from the micro satellite DNA than the micro satellite DNA test. So it's all about compiling the data and then using the data. And it's one thing to have it, but then you have to implement it and put it into practice. And if you're just starting to think about this as a bull supplier of Hereford bulls, what percentage of your bull customers are the dairies? I'm curious. Dairy percentage, I would say 75%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, We are picking up a few more pedigree people now as well. And and why are they using Herefords? Because um, there's short gestation, they're easy carving, and the the bulls are very docile, and they seem to get on really well with them, don't yeah. they? and also and they're you, very fertile. And the white, they've a white face, so if they're carving a lot of um, a lot of staff on these big farms, uh, it's just simpler. The white face ones, you don't, you know, if you're doing like a New Zealand system, you're not getting uh, like an Angus-looking calf, which is suddenly finds itself getting milled, and then they realise, don't they? So if it's a white face, it's, <laughs> it keeps it simple for people working there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes the simple things are the the reasons why people go that way, and I I concur with that. I've I've noticed that when I started thirty years ago in Somerset, believe it or not, the Hereford beef was rife. I've seen it sort of go down a bit, and now it's definitely coming back again, which is really good because I can notice it that going around the dairy farms the only problem you've got and you both know this is that we are continually losing dairy farmers and that is the big concern we've all got because your government um uh, approach to what is a very important problem and that is making sure that the whole dairy industry survives covid19 uh, fit to take itself forward into the next 20 or 30 years covid19 has, has really caused up our, our dairy industry problems you know i think it's worthy of pointing out and i know the statistic in the u.s i don't know it for the uk although i think we should find out is that when people hear about dairy they automatically just think about milk 23 percent of the u.s beef supply comes from a dairy animal we tend to forget that dairy animals also contribute enormously 25 23 percent that's significant to our beef supply yeah. Do you know the numbers in the UK? Any of you? No, oh, it's a lot more. It's a lot that. more than that, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's probably it's probably fifty up to fifty percent. Wow. 
least. Yeah. Because since the subsidies changed from on headage and things, suckler cow farmers cannot make it pay. So they've given up, I guess, a lot of them. So there is significantly less suckler cows than there used to be. be. Well, you guys obviously have been to Australia. You've been to Montana. I mean, we've got big country. And in big country with nothing really that can grow there other than cellulose material, i.e. grass that a Roman animal can eat, it's only fitting that we're going to continue to be the cow-calf sector for the world. I ride around with Andrew in England, and I don't know where you keep any cows because you got a little patch here, a little patch there. I mean, like, where's your sections? Where's your 640-acre pastures? How do you have a cow herd, period? That's amazing to me. You do well to have 640-acre farms, never mind yeah, pastures. Yeah. <laughs> he said, he, he, but he's, I took him to a select part. I don't want to show him the best parts first. I took him a bit south and a bit local to Nantwich around Cheshire, and he did see the Cheshire Plains. He knows what that is, but he knows that's predominantly dairy. So I haven't really taken him to any beef areas, but I know in Cumbria you've got that area there. There's also Hereford itself, and also down into the southwest, there's quite a lot of beef, as you know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, actually, Andrew just kept hanging around one particular town, saying that it was for the cheese, but I think we were looking for Robin Hood. I think that's all we were doing. <laughs> yeah, I took him to nothing. Yeah, that's not exactly beef country, is it? Let's be honest. It's not a lot of beef around there. Yeah. An awful, an awful lot of arable, but he didn't spot that. He's, but anyway, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't notice farm ground. I just notice pastures and range and good cow country or sheep country. Next time I'm coming to your place, whether Andrew comes along or not. (laughs) Good luck with that, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I've got to take a break. We've got one segment left. Andrew's favorite topic: shorting at my best friend a bale of hay. The Stand at Paxton County continues on Netflix. If you get the opportunity to watch this, it illustrates the challenges in animal ownership. We have so many challenges in animal ownership, including laws and restrictions, and now animal rights activists are partnering with the local authorities, and we use one particular true story to inspire a movie made by Hollywood, available to you, made by Forest Films, to be exact, available to you in viewing on netflix it's called the stand at paxton county watch it and you'll send me a note and say trent i understand why you did not sell dell any hay we'll be back with the final segment of roll route right after this welcome back to roll route trent loose had to get out of the break andrew spilling nonsense (laughs) I, i just say this one last time andrew it's not trent loose it is uh, Tom Gardner. Tom Gardner did that, not Trent Loose. I am not going to just say this one more time. When, <laughs> when, a producer, when a producer decides who is, an, is cast in a certain image, he looked for the sort of person that might be like that to get its authenticity right. Okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, Although, by, by not, the I way, I agree with all of it because the person that ended up being Kelly is nothing like as beautiful as your wife. So I have to say that that wasn't right. They didn't give you the right wife there. What? What if Ruth is watching? 
<laughs> I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe. We don't broadcast she that. was she was lovely. She's a wonderful wife in the movie. Okay. Okay, sorry. All right. Back well, to her for cattle. I'm feeling really bad now. Okay. <laughs> uh David Maggie, when was the last time you were in the States? Oh, it would be four years ago. Four years ago, yeah. Five yeah, years ago. Yeah, four or five years ago. We went to Jack's sale, didn't we? We went to one of Jack's sales, I think it was in fifteen, was it? Fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, two uh yeah, the fall of uh, 15 September. Okay. Yeah. Um and and so the makeup you mentioned that you had several commercial cattle, I assume, not all Hereford cattle. What's the genetic makeup of the cattle that are your your commercial suckler cows? Uh commercially, well we're all, we were limousine, but they've we've nearly we've used all our commercial cattle to put embryos in. Oh, so they're recipes. Yeah, yeah, we've used them all as recips mainly to get our Hereford numbers up. And as we've got, as we've gone on, we've built the Hereford numbers up and up and up. So the commercial goal will, will predominantly be pure carving about 300 Hereford cows by next year. It seems to me that, and we do have, I know of one family in the U.S. that uses limousine on dairy cows, and they produce uh, a veal calf uh, yeah. that is more muscular and, and the common... It seems like limousine would work really well in that scenario. Why did you move away from the limousine cattle? Because the veal calf industry has kind of gone. It's very, very, it's just disappeared altogether, hasn't it? There's so many restrictions on it. Uh, yeah. You get a bit of rosy veal with jerseys and stuff. Right. Uh, the limousine also is, was too long in the gestation for a lot of uh, dairy farmers. Uh, so that's, they seem to have lost that market, don't they? Um, they need a lot of finishing and so they, a lot of feed and it was getting very very expensive yeah. wasn't and we're it? finishing our dairy any Hereford's out of dairy cows we can finish them off grass you see yeah hmm. so you obviously think do you think there's a future for you selling uh, some of your genetics back to America in, in the future is that do you two see that as an opportunity that might be there to the dairy farms in America the dairy farmers in I wouldn't America. think no dairy- no, no dairy farmers, but but possibly the Hereford genetics to Hereford breeders. Yeah, and we have had um, Hereford breeders from Sweden and Denmark, yeah. and and we and we do get a lot of quite a few bulls each year into uh, like AI studs in Corgent in the UK, right? A uh, uh, couple of quite a few couple of different studs in uh, Southern Ireland. Uh, they're taking Hereford bulls off, who's usually each year now. Um, so that so could go all over the world, including America, couldn't it? That, well, yeah, yeah, well, a lot, a lot of our semen from our bulls has gone to China as well, would you believe? Fantastic. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. China really like Herefords at the moment. Okay. Hmm. I have to tell you this little story, guys, uh, because it's just it speaks to what we were talking about earlier in terms of how small the world is. In 2015, my last trip to Australia, I spoke in Perth and I, I went to Denmark, Western Australia, and, and I did a this very program rural route from a, a gentleman's farm, um, uh, a station actually in Australia. It's a station, not a ranch or a farm. And he had this amazing World War II museum set up at his place. He had taken a shed and just he collected all this memorabilia and and it was fascinating for me to see the World War II memories from an Australian perspective. And, of course, we had to go to the house for tea and, and cake and cookies. 
And we're sitting there, and it turns out he says, well, I'm a limousine breeder. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. I, I have, I've had a lot of limousine cattle. And he said, well, we use some genetics from the U.S. Oh, I, really, what bulls do you use? He said, well, we have daughters of a bull called Wolf's Choice. Yeah, yeah. I own Wolf's Choice. Oh, my goodness, really. And, and so I'm sitting at this guy. So then we had to go to the paddock, and we had to look up daughters of a bull that I own. I, I just randomly find this guy. <laughs> Thank you, Esther Jones. I just randomly find this guy in Australia, uh, completely on the other side of the world, and then I go look in his pasture at daughters out of a bull I own. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a small world. Yeah, It gets smaller every day. It's similar happened to us in New Zealand, didn't it, with a limousine bull? Yeah. We were uh, staying with a friend, and he said, oh, do you want to go and visit his neighbor and have a look around what they were doing? And uh, and he'd been putting embryos in off a bull we owned in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a small world. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's it. They're, they're two great stories, though. Yeah. That's just great. So um, I'm curious. I would like to tap into the last six minutes, uh, David and Maggie, your crystal ball. What what I know you're you're talking about looking at genomics, but what do you think it's going to take to remain viable, profitable, and competitive in the Hereford business, in the seed stock business, in the future in the UK? Uh, I think we've got to spend a lot of time uh, getting 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 the consumer on side, uh, and whether we even do some direct marketing as well, which we have done a little bit of that before. Um, but it's just talking to people. If you can get the consumer on, talk to people. They're so misled with what happens. You know, we, we had an instance of a lady who moved in a neighbour from London. So she was a city person. She was walking through our cows. We were doing some work one day and we stopped her. And uh, she said, I have to tell you I'm a vegetarian, but um, I don't approve of farming practices. So I said to her, well, why didn't you just stay in London then? So she turned around and said, well, look at the view and look at the countryside. So then I said, well, you've got five minutes. So I explained why the valley looked like it looked. Then I started explaining about the cattle and the beef and everything. She's now a regular. No, I actually then said, I'm going to drop you off two Hereford steaks, uh, 100% grass-fed. I said, but the condition is you have to at least try and eat some of it. Anyhow, a fortnight later, I got a bottle of wine. She'd eaten it all, and she's now converted to eating beef. Fantastic story. Uh, well, you, you only have 16 million more London citizens to go, and you got it. Good job. <laughs> she goes back and spreads the, the word, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah, hopefully. She spreads the word, and she has done, to be fair. So if if all the farmers in this country uh, get somebody, it spreads, doesn't it? You've got to keep, keep at it. And Herefords are really good grass converters. They yeah. are fantastic raisers. And, you know, they are absorbing carbon and yeah. turning into protein, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing nicer than a big herd of Hereford cows in a lovely green field and the sun shining. And people like that image and they like to think that the cows have had a nice life and all the rest of it. And I think it's all about perception. And I think we need to make them into a premium brand, grass-fed Hereford. I want you to stay hooked on that grass-fed part. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I hope you do that. Uh, well, I think that that's going to be the, the, the real cue to that because I think grass-fed or forage, but locally produced forage milk is the same issue in the UK. If we can yeah. prove that we're, we're producing the milk from the ground around the farm, 
I think that's where the consumer is going to be able to connect with us and realize that we are the answer to the problem of climate change and the solution. Did you want to ask me why I hope you stay hooked on grass-fed beef and grass-fed milk? Go on. Well, Well, it's an inferior product and you'll never compete with us in the global marketplace as long as we're feeding corn to cattle and making a tasty, high intramuscular fat product. So you keep doing that grass fed thing, Hereford or not. Do you know, uh, have you tasted American beer, chaps? Yeah, That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. People want to know where it's coming from these days, don't they? Yeah. From a feedlot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just remember, this is the this is the farmer yeah. that won't sell, won't even hey, sell a. Wait a minute! I want to hear what I want to hear what Maggie had to say. I didn't I didn't catch that. What? Well, um, grass fed beef and what have you is higher in omega three. No, it, no, it's insignificantly higher. <laughs> in, it, 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 in transfers, that means it is higher, but not significantly enough for him to worry about it. That's correct. That's spot on what I just said. You can continue to sell that song all you want. It doesn't dance. Well, I think we can make it dance. I think we can. So there you go. Yeah, people relate to that then. Yeah. And we sold a couple of bulls to some chaps who are in the, it's called the Pasture for Life group. Oop. And they said that, and they sell direct to consumers, consumers. and they reckon they had a lot of, vegan ladies who came to buy pasture for life beef for the husbands yeah because even though they were vegan with all that goes with it they could justify buying pasture for life beef because the cattle had had a nice life right. and they'd been <laughs> out on grass yeah <laughs> um, maggie so, yeah, maggie you should be coming on re- regularly that's yeah. going to give him something to think about now no, yeah, no actually what you're saying is i know it to be true because i do have friends in california who um, are in the grass-fed beef business, have been for 20 years, and they have always told me that their role is not to go out and sell to the U.S. beef consumer. Their role is to bring the people who have been teetering between eating beef or not eating beef for the very reasons that you just suggested. So there's a place for that, and, and I'm more power to you. But in the global market of beef, you're not going to take that Japanese market away from us with your grass-fed Hereford cattle. That's just how it is. But we're good with that. Well, we have you... got the rest of the world to go yeah, at, though, have we? Seven point six billion strong. And, yeah. and just remember, just remember, you you shouldn't keep your customers on one small part of the world. Just remember Pearl Harbor. That's all I'll say. Yeah. It's not December 7th. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right, David and Maggie, we have uh, we have one minute. You want to give us a, a profound wrap-up here? Uh, well, all I would say is that we've converted from limousines to uh, Hereford cattle. And if anybody would like to look at our website on Netherhall Herefords, you'll see that they're out there. They're on beautiful uh, green pastures. They're happy cows. They're turning grass into fantastic meat with intermuscular fat and they're easy calving they're very easy to manage animals and they're very happy and we are very happy with them yeah our life is a lot easier since we've swapped breeds david i i hate to tell you this but you need to just send maggie to london and let her just spend all day every day talking to the consumers about what's going on with the beef supply you can stay home and produce it and we're going to fix most of our problems. In Speaker's Corner. In Speaker's Corner should be brilliant. <laughs> and with that, 
We have journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for Andrew Henderson, David, and Maggie Kelly. I'm Trent Luce. We all remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route.